coming up. What an excellent day for brains. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 48 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Mary Karras descending the subway steps. And it ends with Dr. Klein lighting up a cigarette. Oh. Right outside of exam room A. Right outside of exam room A. Jeez. <laughs> Ain't no no smoking signs in this uh, in this hospital. I'm I'm noticing. <laughs> what is this? A McDonald's? Yes. <laughs> there are no ashtrays though. <laughs> yeah, no. Also, no ashtrays. That's that's one thing you should have at least, Doctor Klein. Right, if you're gonna smoke, yeah. Yeah. He he tamps it out on on his patients. No. Um, ugh. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we got the tail end of this dream. Uh, the first, uh, that's the first five seconds of this minute. And then we see that the dream is somewhat uh, symmetrical, right? If you'll remember our dream opened on the falling Joseph metal, right? It was falling not through space. Um, it is somewhere in the world. It looks like, uh, like, and, and, and what I'm finding now, even as I'm pausing and looking at this background, it almost looks like faces. Uh, I, I know in the last minute we concluded, uh, you know, this is some kind of like pattern, like you would see, uh, specifically on a rug, which is weird because unless the rug is hanging vertically, why would the medallion be falling this way? It should be falling towards the rug, not like down its length. Right. Um, unless this is a rug store. <laughs> ah, we've solved it. <laughs> right. They're in a rug store. <laughs> They're in a rug store. And that, and that's where he decides to take off his uh, most prized possession, his St. Joseph's medal, right. and dropping it on the floor dramatically. Right. That's what I think of your prices, Crazy Eddie. Yeah. Can your prices go any lower, Crazy Eddie? Like as low as, say, this metal? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, hey, don't come in here every weekend, drop your medal on the floor. <laughs> every week, this guy. <laughs> Wait for Labor Day, you can't afford full price. <laughs> there's old fa- there's old metal dropping Marin over there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, folks, if, if you're watching uh, this on a thing that you can easily pause, check out the background when this metal is falling. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and double down on my name for instances of pareidolia in this film uh, when we when we see faces uh, formed out of seemingly innocent things, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I guess a hidden howdy is whenever it's evil pareidolia, right? Yes, I like it. Yeah. Well, I guess that. Mm, uh, I guess that would be all the time, right, Keenan? Is, is is pareidolia ever not creepy or evil? Because pareidolia again is um, is our our sensory uh, nature as animals to, mm-hmm. to observe. Oh, that could be a predator over in the woods. Oh, that could be a predator behind that rock. So we see faces everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm thinking now, even even like when animators of those like old Disney cartoons, they would put like faces on like trees in a happy song. I I, I was always like, ah, uh. <laughs> you don't like flowers and trees, dancing trees, singing. No. At you. <laughs> <laughs> the little smiley faces. Eh. Yeah, well, that, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, it's not always creepy. So animators and designers have figured out how to use this to their advantage to make things, you know, the smiley faced uh, T-shirt that emerges in the 70s. Okay, That's yeah. a pareidolia. That is, you know, all it is is dot, dot, line, and we go, oh, a face. So your emoticons and your emoji, those are those are pareidolia. 
So we take advantage of that to make things friendly. And then in my um, in my Disney class on the history of Walt Disney, the man, mm-hmm. um, I, I like to extrapolate his influence and say, like, well, you know, there's a reason why your iPhone is round rather than than square. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to make an iPhone or a laptop that is square, right? That's easier for them to make it. But rounded edges are happier. Oh, they yeah. hug you. They hug you back. They're your buddies. They're gentler, yeah. Yeah, they look like Mickey Mouse, right? It's like sharp edges, like, hey, don't bother me. Right. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a brick cell phone, those ones that people make fun of now, and it was really cool. We didn't mm-hmm. use it a lot when I was a kid. We used it really just to keep in the car in case of emergencies because they were mm-hmm. very expensive to use and, and very rare. But yeah, those things would cut into your face as you talked to them. Yes, yeah, definitely. Mm. But yeah, so uh, speaking of faces, right, back mm-hmm. to this face. So guys, if you sync up, right, if you're on Amazon uh, watching this thing, right, it might be it might be the same um, elsewhere. Uh, but if you sync up at 47 colon 03, so 47 minutes and three seconds, right, there is a very definite uh, demonic face going on over and to the left of this medallion. Mm-hmm. Um, Keenan, I kind of sprung this on you real quick. Do you mm-hmm. do you happen to be uh, able to, to pull this up and oh, see it? Oh, yeah. It's got a red little nose and brow and mm-hmm. two little eyes and a mouth that's going, Rawr, give me that medallion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cuckoo for medallion. <laughs> They're good for my digestion. <laughs> oh, boy. This is one St. Joseph. <laughs> Tastes very Catholic. Um <laughs> But yeah, so as we lower past this face, this very symmetrical uh, uh, carpet-looking design, the camera follows it for a little, and now I don't know what I'm looking at here, right? Mm -hmm. This could be anything, but the next shot is clear, clearly uh, cobblestones. But but before we get to the cobblestones, Keenan, do you know what I'm talking about? So we we leave Mm -hmm. the carpet, and now... What the heck is going on there? It would ha- so it would have to. It looks like exposed brick or something, mm. right? So it looks like a brick pattern, and it's it's like rust colored, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you said in the last minute, which I don't know for our listeners if that if that was like a week ago or not. At this point, for me, it was just a little while ago. But you you said you know where this carpet is, and you know it's foreshadowing somewhere. Well, I thought I knew where this and, carpet. And you're was. not going to tell us. <laughs> I mean. There's a there there is a there is a part in the in near the end of the movie mm-hmm. where I mean there's there's only one location in the end of the movie let's be <laughs> you know let's be real but like that that place has a carpet and it does the, huh? and the metal falls to that carpet right mm, but okay. that's what I thought but then then we go then the camera goes lower and we're looking at like I don't know what this is right it's outside right it must be it, it must be right and we're not talking about like the the like definitely cobblestones that come next it's like right mm-hmm. before like we're still in this shot where the metal is falling and the metal falls out of the frame mm-hmm. and we're looking at yeah it looks like it's outside or something like that it looks like uh, like Keenan is saying exposed brick and so now I don't know what to think because like how is a carpet suspended above you know outside above uh, exposed brick right mm-hmm. like what what is going on here um but yeah i don't know i don't know either <laughs> yeah <laughs> great follow us as we yes. examine <laughs> extrapolate and excavate yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know we we didn't solve uh father Karras's dream sorry right or the problem of evil <laughs> how do you solve a problem like the zuzu oh god we don't know <laughs> 
Oh my god. Um, but yeah, so so we lower past this uh, this face, and we get to this weird image in the in the background, this blurry image. Um, and then the next shot, right, very clearly cobblestones um, mm-hmm. as the the Joseph Medallion finally falls to the earth, striking the stones. We are ripped from this dream by a scream, very jarring. This gets me every single time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are not expected out of out of everything we might want to expect. We don't expect that. Right. Yeah. Now, Keenan, I think you mentioned this word before. Um, in in case we're we're keeping track of the vocabulary that we're, that we're learning in this class, um, is this a sound bridge? Mm-hmm. Be- because the sound uh, of the next scene bleeds over into the dream. Right. So similar to how we had um, when we start the dream sequence, we're hearing still Damien snoring and breathing noises from before. Right. That's a sound bridge from the first scene to the second one. That would be right. a. Uh, sorry, I have to hold up my hands like a like a. A preschooler that would be an, an l cut hmm. where the sound bridge is coming from the previous scene into the next one so what we have here is the opposite it is a holding up my right hand a j cut um hmm. where we are still on the first scene but the sound from the second scene are, are uh, starting early interesting okay i really like that okay so sound bridges l mm-hmm. cuts and j cuts great right awesome so very quickly, as if we ourselves are being ripped from a dream, we are taken from the dream sequence and into the office of Dr. Klein once again. Hey, hey our it's favorite our, doctor. Our favorite doctor. Right? Our only doctor. Our only doctor. <laughs> <laughs> for now. For now. Right. But like in the social network, it's like, you uh, you were my best friend. No, Mark, I was your only friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so here we see that Reagan is the one screaming. Mm-hmm. She is being held by that nurse from before, and she does not look happy. Reagan, I mean, not the nurse. Right. Again, um, like we, we're noticing some things because we're doing this uh, shot by shot, minute by minute. But like, mm-hmm. again, we we're talking about how that nurse just like, I'm not here for your <laughs> right. your little white girl horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, she's she's not particularly bothered by Reagan, you know, screaming yeah. and, and doing this all murder. Right. Just another day at the office for her. Mm-hmm. Just another, just another work day. It, it actually right. looks like she's got a mask on now, <laughs> right? right? Exactly, she's, yeah. she's got this gentle smile. Like this is, this is a regular occurrence, right? Uh-huh. Um, but she's yeah, thinking so, about what, what her husband's going to have ready for for dinner when right, she gets exactly. home. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. precisely. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Reagan continues screaming and she says, I don't want it. And we see what she doesn't want is a shot, which is very understandable, right? I right. don't want a shot. Nobody wants a shot. <laughs> now, if we're following the, the book timeline, this shot is to prepare her for the, uh, the EEG, right? Mm-hmm. Me- measuring brain activity, right? Um, is is, is that what it says in the screenplay? What is it like? Does it say anything about about this this specific shot? Um, it doesn't quite say. So, so it's uh, in the screenplay. It's talking about an X ray. So that might be. Um, well, it, it says here uh, the next scene. Reagan is having her brain X rayed, um, which I thought at first. Oh, you know, he's sort of using a generic sort of term. Right. And then afterwards, he has in parentheses arteriogram. So he's having uh, oh. she's having her um, her arteries in her brain X rayed. Oh my God! Wait, the arteriogram—that's the—that's the other thing, isn't it? Yes, that's that's the other really scary, like really horrible, really thing. scary one—the one that made people puke and leave. Yeah. Oh. Huh. Okay. Well. <laughs> all right. Well, whatever this this shot is for, um, yeah, it did like she doesn't want it. Yeah. Right. Um, and actually, so one thing I noticed in the back of this shot, so we got, so so this is ten seconds in for for the time staff. We 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 got Chris down in the left bottom corner, um, Reagan almost center, and then the nurse and Klein uh, to her right, and the wall is a corner. 
Is that like more uh, dynamism that you were talking about before? Like we don't have we don't have a flush flat surface that, like that's perpendicular to our vision. Mm-hmm. Right. Oftentimes flat, flat space. Um, some people use flat space. I mean, at, at film school, like, like at UNLV film where I teach, um, we try to uh, encourage film students not to use flat as a default, like, oh, the room is square. So I'm going to have things perpendicular. Right. right. Um, but you can use flat space like Wes Anderson uses flat space to, to make things really composed. Right. Ernst Lubitsch, one of the old school masters, um, of comedies, uh, like to be or not to be and, mm-hmm. um, and trouble in paradise. He would use flat space, um, to make everything look really um really twee and like people are saying these outrageous sexual comedy things but but everything looks really polished and everything looks kind of calm right so yeah when we have this sort of dynamism where we have this um this space away from the camera this depth Mm. and and then we start having you know um if we're shooting flat and everyone's lined up in a row everyone's about the same size right right but if we're shooting in in deep space and everyone's in a row the people who are furthest away will look smaller the people who are closest to us will look larger right yeah and that's happening here a little bit yeah, yeah. Um, and it, this one is even more unique because mm-hmm. of the two colors here. We got one mm-hmm. wall, the left one, sort of this baby blue, and the right one is white. And so then we got Reagan like split in the middle of that. Right, between uh, the uh, medical establishment and her family. Yes, right. So being almost the subject of this uh, tug of war, mm-hmm. right? You got the doc and the nurse over on the white side and mom on the blue side, right? And so I guess, you know, that's that's what we make of it, right? The mm-hmm. medical and family. That's what we're getting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about this uh, this shot that Dr. Klein is administering, right? So he, he has mm-hmm. put this, um, we've seen him in, in a couple shots ago now because these things are moving very fast in the stream right. sequence and also here. It's a lot of different takes. So sorry if we're going mm-hmm. all over the place or if I'm right, going all right. over the place. But we have this shot that um, Father Klein is putting into the- um, Father Klein? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Klein. Mr. Klein. <laughs> oh, gosh. Dr. Dr. Father, Reverend Dr. Father. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's a doctor. She's a father. She's a doctor. She's a doctor and a father. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, we put the syringe into this medicine and, and he, he pulls them out and he squirts them out of it. Yes. Right. The, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, so- um, um, sometimes nowadays, because we're used to, we learn a lot about how the world is supposed to work or how jobs are supposed to work through media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So nowadays you hear still about people like, oh, the nurse didn't do that thing. She didn't squirt some of the, <laughs> right. some of the, 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 um, liquid out so mm. there's nothing in this or it's some kind of trick or, or they're mm-hmm. doing it wrong or or what have you um and so like this is an example of, like apparently this is outdated um you know medical um medical procedure that at some oh. point they used to have to do that but now with the kind of syringes that they have today they don't have to do it right but we're still oh. so used to it yeah um but again like now that's baked into visual language right like mm-hmm. like that's how you get a shot ready and you have this big ugly squirt of medicine that just like oh god now that's that's gonna that's gonna be what's gonna happen to me like ill <laughs> Oh, <laughs> right, okay. gross, terrible, Blah, liquid, going crazy. <laughs> Fluids in me. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh gosh, I don't know if our audience wants to hear this, but okay. I had a student. I had a student tell me, like, um, you know, inside of our bodies, we don't think of our bones as being wet, but of course they are. <laughs> Right, because whenever mean, we see wow. bones, they're out there, like in the desert or something, and they're right, all dry. They're dry, right? Yeah, but like, yeah, your bones are just squishing around in a in a tub of liquid that is you. Wow. <laughs> so you decide whether you want to keep that in the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, folks, we're just meat sleeves for our bones. <laughs> And somewhere in there is a consciousness and a soul or both. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere somewhere <laughs> underneath that uh that fleshy sweater that our bones are wearing. <laughs> okay, well here's another one that you could also okay. cut out if you need to. Sure. <laughs> 
so I heard that we think about our our um we think about like our our stomachs and our intestines as being inside of us, right? Yes. But the the opening to our stomach and intestines is our mouth, and the other opening is our is our rectum. Mm-hmm. And so, really, those are still outside. <laughs> 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 that were basically long skinny donuts. <laughs> we are we are we are that donut that um that the machine got wrong somehow. And then they just opened the uh you know the the template the mold and they're like, "Oh." Uh. God was like, "I I just wanted to make donuts. That's all I wanted to do." I was right, like, what are you going to call this one, man? Man, I should call him Adam. Yes, <laughs> that was actually an exclamation. It was like Adam. <laughs> right? No, now I need to make another one. I, I don't want to start like to I don't, start I don't want him over. To be lonely. Well, <laughs> I mean, no one's going to love him. He's so ugly. Look at him. <laughs> right, but to uh, to to to, do, to redesign it into something, we would have to admit that Adam was a mistake. So yes. <laughs> we'll make this one pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. This Eve. It's, but, it's, uh, not, it's not all berries. It's all bones. Uh. <laughs> oh, geez. What what gross thing was I going to say? I'm sure Sorry. I had more gross medical <laughs> ideas for him. Oh, oh, oh. The, and then um, I was, you know, um, you know, when you open up a, a, a pill bottle of usually yes. ibuprofen, it's, it's mostly aspirin. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But but oftentimes an ibuprofen or any kind of pain medication, you open up a pill bottle and there's a wad of cotton in there. Yes. And that wad of cotton used to do something. It used to, I believe, keep the pills from rattling around because they would disintegrate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays they don't need that wad of cotton anymore. But oh. we're so used to it there that when people would open up a bottle of aspirin and there wasn't a wad of cotton, they would go, oh, someone's someone's wrong. Someone's been in here. Yeah, someone's tampered with this. Oh, right. Wow. So that cotton is completely useless, and it's just it's just adding to our our global Comfort. warming problem, right? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So that we because it's easier than educating the public that now with no cotton. Yeah. Right. Aspirin, you don't need this right. cotton. Yeah, cotton proof aspirin. Wow. Interesting. I was gonna say like like so the thing that that Dr. Klein does with the um <clears throat> with the squirting of the mm-hmm. of the syringe, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've also seen them like like they they hold it up to the light and they like tap it with their right. with their fingernail or something like 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 <laughs> they're like I don't know this will mix the, the the juices in there or something like that. <laughs> oh, shouldn't they have done that in the factory? But that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's like if you're mixing it now, right before you stick it into me. Nobody take that out of context. Right, right. But it's it's just one of those medical it's just one of those movie things, right? That that feels right. The nurse holds it up to the light and is like, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's liquid, all right. Right. Mm-hmm. There's there's not an actual function for that in the real world. Right. Wow. Oh, Keenan, I thought of another one. Um <laughs> You're, we're gonna get everyone unsubscribing from us. Yeah, it's like everyone's gonna be uncomfortable. Um <laughs> You know, you know that your teeth, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, you're actually cleaning the only only part of your skeleton that you can clean. Somebody told me that once and I was like, oh, wow, thanks. They're all bones. Yeah, they're all bones. <laughs> no. They're my favorite bones. Yes. We have little names for them. Yeah. They're, the, they're the only bones I care about. Um, well, no, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> right, you my just spine can't do anything pretty... about your spine and stuff. But you can. Yeah, right. We, we yeah. want, we want on, to be on like first dates and job interviews and make sure people can see our pretty, pretty bones. <laughs> right, right. Nobody's out there brushing their spine, right? Or I hope not. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Look at those pearly whites <laughs> up and down his back. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, okay. I thought of another one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
you know, you like, like, think of your brain, right? Yes. Maybe yes. you don't want to think about your brain. I oh, mean, I also heard that, yeah, like, your brain is the only thing that thinks of itself. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, think of your brain. And, like, when you imagine a brain, like, you, you probably, you think it's like a gummy brain, you know, mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. get a Halloween, like a gummy brain. But, yeah. uh, but it's mostly just water and fat. And there's, like, not a lot of actual substance to it. So, like, you couldn't necessarily, like, 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 pick it up and hold it and have it like your 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 um fingers would sort of like slough into it oh no like it would it would just like melt out of my hands <laughs> not exactly if you if you put enough pressure on it yeah like it, it's not like <laughs> it's not like a jello or something but yeah it, it's mostly just fat there's not like muscle in there oh my god so i can't like like pretend i'm you know davy crockett like mr burns did in, in treehouse of horror <laughs> and put it on top of my head well you might be able to get away with that once and then it would be (laughs) wow (laughs) like it's not a muscle and there's no bones in it and and it's just it's just just incredibly incredibly squishy i have some bad news your brain (laughs) bones are broken (laughs) oh shouldn't have done that oh my god oh you're making me think you're making my brain think all of these things that it doesn't want to think oh god all right, let's let's uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. move on here. But but you know right. all of this stuff. I, I, we've said it in previous minutes. But if you're like listening out of order, as some people do, mm-hmm. or what have you, um, we're getting to the minutes here that are for a lot of people the scariest minutes of The Exorcist, yes. mm-hmm. and the ones that people lost control of themselves of during movie screenings in 1973, but also in 2000. But in 1973, they were reported in the newspaper and became part of the movie's marketing that yes. people were losing their shit and losing their consciousness mm-hmm. during these scenes and passing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and here we got like a little, a little kind of like prelude to that, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Dr. Klein is able to get that shot in her. Again, Keenan, this looks like a real needle going into Linda Blair's arm. Am I correct? I thought like maybe we would cut away. I thought there would be like some kind of like camera trickery, but nope, it's all one shot. <sighs> one shot, the needle goes into her arm. Or am I missing something? Like, is this maybe like a um, collapsing needle? I, I think I think they pulled a trick on you, but it's a very convincing okay. trick. But you know, again, it's not her body double. It's not Eileen Dietz or anybody else. It's definitely not no. face, right? But no, I I believe that Father Care. Oh God, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Klein. Yes. Okay, I believe. But have you had any re- your students call you mommy yet? <laughs> um, yes, okay, I've good. had mom. I've had dad. More so, mom. Right. Is, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, anyways, but mom. <laughs> I believe that Dr. Klein's, uh, uh, Barton Heyman's um, left hand, which is holding Linda Blair's arm, is probably yes. um, concealing some kind of magic trick slash uh, pro wrestling uh, trick. Theory. Interesting. Yeah. So go back and look at it. It's very convincing. I don't mean to, you know, ruin the magic tricks for people, but yeah, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that he's stabbing something that might be like pinned to the back of her or or, or something. Because he's certainly poking something because then he's able to, like like a pencil, sort of not hold, not no longer support its gravity, right? Yeah. But yeah, oh, I don't yeah. think you actually see anything, but that's that's what movies do. They convince You're you. You're right. Yeah. Right. The, way that his, the way that his left hand mm-hmm. is over her arm, right. there could be something in there. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then in the next shot, we mm-hmm. see the needle already quote unquote in Linda Blair's arm, but I don't believe it's actually in it. I believe it's just pushing against it. Oh yeah, you're right. It doesn't look like a puncture. No, I, I it looks like it's poking it. Right. And in this in this reverse shot, we might be looking at the needle, but quickly, you know, our attention goes to Chris, who is just in all this anguish, right? She's in the center of the frame and she's like, oh, you know, please, 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 right. So even yeah. if we do want initially to go, oh God, let me look at that needle. That's terrible. Mm-hmm, Again, mm-hmm. story, um, 
story in a film is usually conveyed through um, dialogue and acting, dialogue and yeah. performance. So, yeah. So if that helps you, um, you know, get through this scene some more, <laughs> but yeah, it is one of the harder wa- to watch things again. Like yeah. I, I, no, not, not demon stuff. It's like mm-hmm. little girl going through medical procedures. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Leave it, leave it to like, like, yeah, they, they really did trick me. And it's like in here, it's my job to watch this thing minute by minute and <laughs> right. they still got me. Oof. Wow. Yeah. I, I just watched it again with him step. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah. Whoa. I just explained it to you. And, and I still, still, <laughs> still went like, oh, God, <laughs> how could you? <laughs> I was thinking it's like, oh, maybe it's a collapsing needle. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how they have like collapsing knife blades or something like that, right. you know? But no, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. But then that wouldn't allow him to, you know, the advantage of this one is that, yeah, he, he can start moving his right hand away and keep the needle pinned into this little girl, right? Because right. I think it's really pinned into like a sponge back that's yeah. strapped to her or something like that. Interesting. Huh. Um, that's another thing they'll do. Like, like, so this one isn't quite elaborate, as elaborate, but you could also have a sponge that is um, attached to somebody or some kind of reservoir like that. And then when you um, put the knife or something in it, the sponge is already kind of pre-wet with something, right? With blood or goo or whatever. And then, and then you can so you can put in a, a clean knife and pull out with some splatter aid, uh, you know, a, a messy knife. Oh, okay. I like that. Don't try it at home, though, kids. No, no, please don't. <laughs> no, 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 do no, no, no. not do any of that right, stuff. Right, right. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of really. I'm sure there's. Um, I'm sure there's much more elaborate effect stuff than than I could convey. Um, you mm-hmm. know, YouTube tutorials and everything, but anything like that. If you, um, yeah, be safe with those things, please. Yes, for sure. For the sure. The people who are, who you're imitating are incredibly, incredibly safe. Um, yes. Or at right. least take a lot of pains to be right. Yes. And have trained like like years and years mm-hmm. and years to you know to do stuff like this. Right. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So to that, I have a question, Keenan. Whose side are we supposed to be on right now? Because it would seem like Reagan is acting like unreasonable, right? Even mm-hmm. even Chris is there going like, honey, it's there to help you. Like, like you don't understand this, but we're trying to help you. And then immediately after Reagan does what seems like a very unreasonable, very shocking thing, right? She mm-hmm. spits in Klein's face and calls mm-hmm. him a... Uh, fucking bastard right <laughs> um and and so for a split second you think like geez you know this doc is trying to help you but like you know then you're like wait all of this is pointless right, right? because it's a demon right mm-hmm. and then we're we're maybe we're maybe 10 years away from a bunch of movies about kids who are um special or have powers or dreams or or claim to know imaginary people or have been to imaginary worlds and mm-hmm. and who like in all these like 80s movies like are taken to a medical facility um you know to be either examined or or quote unquote cured of their like mm-hmm. specialness right i'm thinking right now of like flight of the navigator i'm thinking return to oz i'm thinking et or mm-hmm. even like stranger things which is like you know uh, echoing all of that stuff right. from mm-hmm. you know back in the day right all of those movies that featured you know jim henson creations that you know like only the main protagonist could see and and because of that the adults thought there was something wrong with their with with the the kid's brain mm-hmm. right and so in less than 10 years we start going or we start getting a lot of movies with fantastical elements starring kids uh, uh, where they're where they're right and they see the truth and the truth is fantastical and the adults and usually doctors are in there somewhere mm-hmm. are wrong and I'm I'm thinking like uh, uh the wizard too, right? Mm-hmm. Um where the police and the CPS like are the bad guys because they're you know they're they're gonna ruin this kid's fun. Yeah, right? and a lot of that gets extended to like you know, so the police and the local authorities and the schools, but then also like in ET, it's it's explicitly like like Reagan style, the government has come and mm-hmm. the government is against kids and imagination and love and fun. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna we gotta stop this right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really interesting, Lester. I hadn't really thought about that. How how in the seventies, um I mean there are there are you know, kid fantasies, but not, not this big crop like that, you know, is right. it specifically because of Spielberg coming up? Um, I'm, you know, also 
also there is in the 80s this um this attempt by the studios to recognize that like um teenagers are, are their own demographic who go to their own types of movies so mm-hmm. some of those movies are, are sort of like aimed at, at teenagers specifically um and how cool and powerful they are um mm. we all have to think about that a little bit more about why that would be in the 70s again the demographic is kind of back to like everybody watching movies together the same movies right right and i'm thinking like you know just like to 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 take this out of context right like if a person never saw The Exorcist and you show them this scene right here with with Doc, with Nurse and mom holding Reagan who doesn't want this shot and who, you know, like like who would they think is the bad guy slash good guy of of the film? Right. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm realizing, as I say it, that it's it's really unfair, you know, you know, show them just a snippet of, of something and they'll project mm-hmm. uh, the current era's concerns onto it. Right. So if it was the 80s, if it was the 70s, if it was the, you know, the 2000s. Right. Because that's what we do. We fill in the gaps. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but that, you know, but I think that that's really interesting where. You know, if we if we just take the visual language out of context, right? Mm-hmm. It's telling us one thing, but then in context, you know, it, it, it make it we know the full truth. I mean, that's what helps us as audience members feel like we're smart. Like the movie, we're not smart. The movie's smart, you know. Mm-hmm. So the movie allows us to feel smart by by like saying like, oh yeah, look at this. Everything that we might show you is like this little ghost throwing a tantrum, and the mm-hmm. mother is mm-hmm. right, and the doctor is right, and look at the nurse. She she has seen this before, right? The little mm-hmm. girl is out of whack here. Um, and then in context, it's like, no, these people are doing the wrong thing. This is yeah. this is going to be part of the problem. We're not going in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Um, and so once again, folks, I paused at just the right time. So Dr. Klein has given Reagan the shot, after which she spits in his face, and we cut for just a second as she says, um, you fucking bastard. Mm. And it's this perfect shot into another corner, right? Mm-hmm. And we have mom in the very back. And guys, this shot is just like a second long. Mm-hmm. But I swear, if you just watch Ellen Burstyn here, you're going to see some amazing stuff. The shot mm-hmm. uh, starts with her looking at Dr. Klein in this like embarrassed way, mm-hmm. like her daughter just spit on him. Um, and this might be the first time that she that that Reagan has done that, mm-hmm. right? But then watch Ellen's face change as her daughter calls him a fucking bastard, mm-hmm. right? She like she's about it, it ends just as she's maybe about to say something like Reagan, right? Mm -hmm. Or something like that, right? Right. And you can see the range of emotions from embarrassment to shock. It's it's really Mm -hmm. great, right? Right. And similar to that shot that you were talking about with all the depth um, and and Reagan is um, in the middle of this blue wall to the left, white wall mm-hmm. to the right. Now we've reversed that pattern. So Chris is, as you say, completely center, um, center punched here in the middle. And on the right is that blue wall on the left is the white wall. So we're yes. exactly mirroring that, um, that language. Right. And I like <laughs> the nurse is perfectly professional. Doesn't even right. acknowledge Reagan's behavior, mm-hmm. um, as anything deserving attention. Right. I'm telling you, she has all the answers. <laughs> if this, if this movie were called the nurse, it'd be a lot shorter. Give her, give her 10 minutes alone in the room, some, some, some tea and some cookies, right? They just right. talk it out and boom, right? Then, how then, he's she, gone. yeah. Well, well, <laughs> see, she exposes Doctor Klein's malpractice, right? She takes she takes over as the head doctor. Oh, right? yeah, good, good yeah, for her. She's nice. She's nice though. She lets him be the the head nurse, right? <laughs> and Captain Howdy is the secretary, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. So he, you know, we, he's out in the in the waiting room. He's like, "Hey, you two kids, knock it off!" Right? right? He says, uh, "Hey, uh, no smoking, honey, please." Yeah, right. This is the doctor's <laughs> office. Yeah. It's got a little nail file for those like <laughs> terrible claws that, you know, that Captain Howdy has. Right, right exactly. Um, so, yeah. Now we cut from there to Father Karras or is it still mm-hmm. Dimmy, right? He's he's doing a mass 
And we come in just as he says, remember also, Lord, thy servant, Mary Karis. And try as he might, Karis does not look convinced of the words that he is saying up there. Um, this is some great acting from Jason Miller as he speaks. Um, if you notice, there's a pause after he says his mother's name. And I guess it could be intentional, like in his delivery, but it also looks like he forgot where he was for just a second, right? Mm-hmm. He says his mother's name, maybe falls into a memory, and then he has to shake that off like because, oh yeah, I'm a priest. I'm, I'm doing a sermon. Right. Can I read to you a little bit from the screenplay? Sure. This yeah. is, this also includes our previous minute um, mm. with Dyer. So uh, so our scene with Karis's funeral. There's nothing in our draft of the screenplay of the dream sequence that we've been covering. Oh. Um, so everything's a little bit different in these early scenes about just the order of them. But okay. so we have Father Dyer uh, saying goodbye to Karis. A reading from the screenplay of Blatty. Karis, stealing is a sin. A beat. Then tenderly, Dyer touches a hand to Karis's shoulder and goodnight. But as he starts to move towards the door, Karis's hand reaches out and grips Dyer's wrist, squeezing and giving a little shake and a gesture of gratitude and deep friendship. At this moment, the camera is tight on the hands, but then goes to Dyer as he nods in acknowledgement. Then Dyer stares down and camera follows his gaze to tight at the hands again as healing sleep at last comes to Karis and his grip slackens and his hand slowly falls. Dyer, off screen in a whisper, good night, Damien. Interior Holy Trinity Church, very early morning. Only two or three worshippers in the church. Karis, in his black vestments, is at the main altar saying Mass, while washing at small table the side of altar. O Lord, I have loved the beauty of thy house and the place where thy glory dwelleth. Take not away my soul, O God, with the wicked, nor my life with men of blood. Another angle and a time lapse. Now Karis's eyes are moistening with tears as, and he continues on. Um... Yeah, so I think it's interesting. We talked a little bit about um, your observation that Blatty in the book and Blatty in the screenplay is, um, you know, he's a he's a good writer. So I don't want to yeah. don't want to criticize this necessarily, but his impulse is to highlight emotionality a little bit yes. more. It doesn't feel maudlin, right? As you read that, it doesn't feel like, oh, how sappy or anything like that. Right, But right. he calls out like this shot of the hands touching um, mm-hmm. and, and holding each other and what it means. And it, it's very significant. Um, and in our version, it's incredibly ambiguous, right? We're like, oh, mm. geez, that, that feels human. But what does it mean? So it's even like right. like Dyer and Karis don't even know what that means, that, Kar- that Karis just did that there, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then now, again, um, in this version of the um, of the Mass, here in the movie, it's uh, it's his mother's funeral. Uh, in the script, he's already had the funeral earlier, and this is just a regular Mass. Mm. Um, and so here it says, now Karis's eyes are moistening with tears. Mm. Not a bad impulse, but, but, um, but Miller, uh, Jason Miller and uh, Billy Friedkin don't want us to see moistening eyes. Right. He seems like, it seems like the decision is to have him be almost numb. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, Yeah. And I don't know if, I don't know if this is maybe her funeral, but maybe this is because, because like we were saying before, like, like, we mentioned the names of the dead right. in like a regular mass, right? Um, Sorry, I didn't know. I, I, I don't know what that's called. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I don't that know the, thing. the <laughs> name for that either. Yeah, but, right. but it, it is like, you know, something, something that just happened and it's like, oh, remember thy servant, you know, so-and-so. Um, yes. And I, like, it, it, it strikes me that like, so, you know, how strange and terrible it must be. Like, you know, you you know, you figure he's, he's said, uh, remember thy ser- servant a thousand times before about mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. in other masses. Right. And then right. one day as part of your job, mm-hmm. you're saying the one for your own mother. Right. Right. That's gotta, you know, have some effect on you. Right. Especially if, if, you know, you were Karis mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're where he is at in his faith, right. Which is to say almost giving up hope. Right. right. 
Um, I, I guess it might be different for our, for a priest who is like strong in his faith to be the one who says the name of a loved one, you know, remember thy servant. That could be a very beautiful thing. Like be honored to do the mass right. of somebody who, who you love. Right. But, but the, the, um, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't have to do it. Right. Uh, I'm hmm. sure that, I'm sure that the other priests at his diocese would be like, you know, we could do that for you. Like it doesn't right. have to be you. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I can't give the homily to this woman. Because I'm her son. Right. How could yeah. this be? It's a riddle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's also a father. He's what? also a father. <laughs> Time travel. <laughs> There's <Yes>. cloning. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like, we're, we're referencing that joke that nobody – or that riddle that nobody can, can <laughs> figure out that, that the doctor is a woman for Christ's sakes. Um, yeah. But but yeah, like, like, you know, knowing him, he's a little – I don't want to say – masochistic because you know, mm. i don't mean any of the sexualness around that no. but like he he is putting on this sort of penance for himself right testing his faith right of yes. like like you know i'm gonna test if i'm strong enough to do this i'm sure he doesn't actually need to be doing it that's an that's an angle that i never thought of i i always took it as like you know this is like the day-to-day mm-hmm. of like you know he's this is his job he has to say the names of the people that you know you're supposed to mm-hmm. remember and it just happens to be his own mother and and like you know how how you know, like how much of a, you know, an effect that has on him. But, uh, so you're saying that like he, he may not, he may have had like the option to not do that, to I have mean, one of the other priests right. do that. Who's, who's writing up the, the homily for the day. Right. I mean, they, they would have, so, you know, the other option is that they are very insensitive mm. <laughs> and they're a very insensitive coworker <laughs> to right. put that in there. Um, because like, she's not a member of, I mean, we're, I'm assuming this is in Georgetown and not in New York where she had passed. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. She's not part of this, uh, parish. Um, so someone has put this in and, uh, you know, um, I don't know, I, you know, you know, the priesthood is a different type of job, but I'm sh- it's still a workplace. I'm sure that someone is not like, oh, you know, I'm going to put in this uh, this name, Mary Karras. Um, I, I'm not going to connect that that's uh, Father Damien's mother. Um, right. Know. So it's got to be it's got to be uh, uh, Karras himself mm-hmm. deciding to 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 say this. That's what I that's what I think. Right. It's, that's that sticks that say that stays within what we know about his character. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, like, and then, yeah, that, that just adds like a whole nother level to this thing again, like as a priest, that's your Mm -hmm. job is to, is to say, remember thy servant, you know, with Mm -hmm. all of your being, with all of your mind and your heart, like remember thy servant, whether, whether this person is related to you or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And then just having them be related to you, you know, adds, um, you know, it could, it could add a beauty to it, you Mm -hmm. know, if, if you are like very strong in your faith, but it could also add like this, uh, this weight of like, like, like I can't even give her a proper send off. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? Right. Mm-hmm. I am not worthy. Right. Um, and you know, like speaking of, of the, like those are the next words that are spoken in this scene by the congregation. Right. Which, you know, I think, I think mirrors Karis's like inner monologue here mm-hmm. that, that, that he is not worthy. So again, we got this like double, um, conundrum of like, is there a God and am I worthy of him? And for Karis, both answers are no, mm-hmm. which is impossible. Right. That doesn't right. You know, like, like, uh, that doesn't stop his conundrum though from like eating him alive. Right. I guess paradox is the better word maybe. Right. right? But like, like you would think that's like him worrying about whether or not there is a God would cancel him, cancel out his worrying about whether or not he is worthy of this God. It's like, well, okay, there's no God. So I don't have to worry about being worthy or like, oh, there is a God. Well, then, you know, I can work to be worthy. Right. But Mm -hmm. like, no, both answers are no for him. There is no God. And he is also not worthy of God. Mm -hmm. Right. Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh. We end a lot of these with like, Ugh. <laughs> oh yeah, and I wanted to mention that because this is the end of our of our dream sequence. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the book, you read from us some dream sequences, right? Yes, um, mm-hmm. and and they all. You know the ones that we have so far with Chris. I mean, they they've been like the idea of nothingness and bleakness yes. and blackness, and so mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that Damien's are are also you know not necessarily happy. Nope. Why no. can't you just dream about you know the the sports game you watched on TV that morning? <laughs> right. <laughs> Why has it got to be this kind of stuff? It's got to be. It's always it's always got to be. Again, going back to like what we were talking about in the last minute, right? Anytime dreams are inserted into <laughs> uh, fiction, it seems like I can only think of. Um, it not being good even if it's a good dream the like the punchline of it is ah it was only a dream you mm-hmm. know like but usually it's like oh i'm here to warn you about something right. or or it's a bad dream because you feel guilty about something and you're like oh oh it was only a dream that's the thing you like i'm not a psychiatrist obviously but but like i don't i don't put a lot of stock into um into dream interpretation right i mean you know oftentimes your friend or your family they were like god i had this terrible dream and they explain it to you and like oh that's and then they you want to know why you dreamt that right right um we still know so little in neuroscience about like why do we need to sleep mm-hmm. <laughs> so we even have that trouble like so why do we need to sleep let alone why do we need to dream we, we don't really understand it um but so right now um you know and this could change but right now i'm of the belief that like dreams don't mean anything but they mm. um um you know they're sort of uh, firing uh information firing in your brain that you um that you are forced to watch but but that's not like i mean your brain which again is a big pile of um of, you of fatty know, tissue fatty tissue right uh, something between like that's you folks that's you <laughs> something between jello and, and sponge cake yeah. yeah um you know it's not it doesn't have intention where it's trying to tell you something in secret like it's mm. like or else it would tell you it consciously i mean that would be the evolutionary thing to do right to save you yeah. is to to have conscious thoughts not these um riddles <laughs> right why would why would your brain uh why would your brain why would it help you if your brain sends you cryptic riddles that you have to right. um that you have to um solve like a harry potter mystery in order right. to to have some evolutionary advantage right but they they feel so much like they mean something right yeah yeah Unless there's some other part of your brain that you got to be like sly in front of. It's like, hey, don't don't let him know this this important plot point. I'm watching you. You know, he's got right. his little beat cop hat on and his little his little uh, billy club. And he's like, don't you give him any exposition. You don't you give him any exposition. You let him figure this out by himself. You know, um, no helpsies. Right. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a little brain with a little security guard hat. Oh, yeah, that's you know. him. Your brain is your is your Harry Potter sorting hat. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's like you you will be emotionally aggressive to those you love. Oh, oh, why? <laughs> that sounds ever so terrible. You'll have to learn it on your journey here in humanity. Good luck. <laughs> Dick. <You. No>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let's see, Lester, Lester, let's see, Lester. You'll be emotionally cold when you most need to be emotionally open. No. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> How many years is it going to take to work on this sorting hat? <laughs> seven years at least, and we'll break the seventh year into two no, <laughs> to no. make more money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Oh, it's yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And then we're going to <laughs> then we'll, we'll this reference manual that we made just for fun as a Christmas gift. We'll turn that into three years on its own, and oh, no, no one will want it, but everyone will see that. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh yeah, but yeah. Um, I I heard somewhere before that 
it's it's more akin to like when your computer um well th- well this shows how much i i know or don't know about computers but like <laughs> like isn't isn't there a thing like when your computer is like you know it's it's like Mm, for all intents and purposes, it's off. Yeah, defragmenting. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's getting rid of like all of the associations and all of the, mm-hmm. you know, all of the cookies and everything like mm-hmm. that, right? And so like your brain is in sleep mode and it needs to, I guess, like clean up all of the associations mm-hmm. that you've made like in your waking time. But for mm-hmm. some reason, for whatever reason, it has to pass in front of your mm-hmm. your consciousness. So you see it happening. Like right. you see your brain throwing out all the garbage mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, this, this piece of garbage is associated with this piece of garbage. And oh no, you know. Right. So it's it, in that model, it's you're making new memories by accident because like some of these things right. are so disturbing that you're like, oh my gosh, I was on a date and it turned out to be my mother in the tunnel of love with me instead right. of my crush. Oh God, what, there must be something wrong with me. And then it's creating things that you can't shake and that are new memories for you, which right. if, and, that, if that's what's happening, uh, that is, as you see, an evolutionarily flaw. <laughs> that's a problem. Mm, yes. Yeah. So we're still, we're still developing folks. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, that's and not mother, helpful. Yeah. And my mother in the tunnel of love told me that I hadn't studied for the exam. <laughs> right. And then and it turns out the tunnel of love is in the school. And, right. it, and it feels both like your actual high school and has all the right feelings, but it looks like the high school you saw on TV. Right. Yes. <laughs> that, you know what? Like recently, all of my nightmares have been like when I was young, all of my nightmares were like like physical harm to me or like some kind of like existential, like I would dream about a monster mm-hmm. um, or a witch that I saw on TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And lately, all of the dreams that I can remember now. Well, first of all, they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember good dreams anymore. Right. But like all of the dreams that I'm having now are like I fucked up in some mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you didn't do your taxes right. You filled out this form and now the, you know, now the the police and the accountants are at your door and you gotta <laughs> like go through all of this bad Lester. Shame <laughs> on you. Or or like you um it's like, oh, you know, you're at the line in the DMV and you know, you've been <laughs> waiting for four hours and you finally get up there and like, okay, all we need is your, you know, your XYZ form. It's like, oh no, no I forgot that at home. I oh. ate it. I ate it. <laughs> like right? I was so hungry in line. <laughs> and then everyone at the DMV is like, shame. Look at this asshole. Right. You know? Again, I'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor, and I'm sure that there's much more cutting edge, or maybe not, because again, it's it's some of it's so hard to measure, right? About yeah. what dreams are for. But it, you know, like you wake up with those types of dreams and you're like, oh my gosh, like my, my conscious is trying to tell me about, about I'm a fuck up or, or my conscious trying to, is trying to spur me into getting over this fear of being a fuck mm-hmm. up. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it might be though, I mean, I don't know if this helps you or not, but it might be that you have a lot of dreams and the only ones that you remember and wake up to and, and think about are the ones that are already about the things that you are worried about in your everyday life. Yes. I think that is the case. I think, and, and yeah, I have heard like, like, we may remember like one dream out of like, uh, you know, a whole string of dreams that right. we have like throughout the night. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually like when, you know, upon waking and trying to recount, you know, uh, uh, our, our dream, mm-hmm. we might like conflate one dream with another right. that we had like, like, and then I was, then I was on the moon, mm-hmm. but then, uh, you know, my English professor was there and those, those were actually two separate dreams. Mm-hmm. That that happened so fast, like like apparently dreams like go by really really fast, right. like in the span of like, is it seconds? I think it might be. That's my understanding. Again, this could be outdated, and we we're mm. not medical professionals at all. Right, right, but yeah, right. yeah. But I believe so. I believe that um, you know we think about ourselves as eight hours of sleep, but we don't dream during those eight hours. It's it's a very small part of that time when we do dream. Right. right. And so like we yeah we're getting flashes of dreams that feel like narratives that last a long time, but they're not always right. that at all. 
Right. Yeah. Like it's wow. not like in the movies, like Inception, where we can read your dreams and we can see what's happening in them real time because they right. they are they're just flashes of neurological energy. Well, that's that's I'm sure that's the wrong way of saying it, <laughs> right? But then within them, they give the feeling of time and space. Right. Yeah. And time time seems uh, uh, so real in those dreams, even though like it's 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 like the it's the sensation of time that mm-hmm. we're experiencing, right? The feeling of like this has been going on for hours or years or you know or, or seconds. Yeah, or and, and that's that's yeah. one of the ways again that film theorists talk about like films being oneric that special term that we have that means that films are dreamlike basically Hmm. is that they last say two hours but it can feel like we are um you know it could feel like we have seen a movie that lasts for hundreds of years or thousands of years even right Right, like 2001 space odyssey is like uh, 150,000 years long (laughs) right yeah yeah or it's like when you're watching, you know, uh, a movie like The Exorcist, mm-hmm. which is only supposed to be 132 minutes, mm-hmm. but you know, these two chuckleheads are just going on about one <laughs> minute of the film for hours, and they're talking about their dreams. You know, some people's least favorite thing is when they're at a party and someone that they don't know tells them about a dream that they had. Um, oh. So, so if that's your, if that's you know. Um, that's the advantage of having a podcast. Is that, <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you get a podcast, I've learned you can just say your dreams and you can bore people mm-hmm. into them, and they, yeah, they have yeah. to listen. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to. Oh, no, this is going to be this is going to be a very divisive episode, because I think I personally really like hearing uh, about other people's dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I know there's lots of people who are like, oh, my God, just like, you know, get on with the with the rest of the, th- the stuff. Yeah, I love know? hearing my friends dreams, you know, that, that's mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, it's so intimate, though. I think that's the problem I have when it's someone you don't know. and They're talking about your, their dreams. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. this is this is like. It's as if someone's like, you know, what my secret hopes and, and wishes are. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know, what my greatest fears are. That's what what happens in dreams, or at least again, right. dreams that we remember at the top mm-hmm. of our consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, geez, I was like, it's like next thing you're going to ask me to like be inside your meat sweater with all your wet bones, <laughs> wet bones jingling around. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Okay. Anyway, um, yes, this, so, this is an important episode in our history. This is the episode where we lose all of our listeners or we make a lot of other listeners. There might be some yeah. secret um, wet bone lovers out there <laughs> like, oh, I found this wet bone podcast. You got to yes. listen to this. We just got to we, 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 we should change. This is the wet bones minute. Um, <laughs> Because their bones are uh, permeable, right? There's like yes. there's like water in them and water outside mm-hmm, of them, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the water sloshes through your bones. Yeah, <laughs> wet bony sponges, <laughs> spongy bones. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, 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 okay. Uh, all right. Um, but yeah, so so we're back. We're back here. We're back. We're back with. Uh, with uh, Father Karras. And we got this wide shot. Um, this is Dahlgren Chapel. Um, it's been. Uh, cleaned up since last we saw it, for sure. Um, we see that the statue of the Virgin. We we see the statue of the Virgin Mary. Um, question: What happens when something is desecrated, like within the church? Do you think it's just like you know physically cleaned up, or it, or is there something that they have to do in addition, some kind of like blessing or or hmm. ceremony, something like that? Like I'm wondering about that now. It might be good you know, to research later, or maybe we can ask, you know, some of our, some of our guests that we're thinking of, uh, of having on uh, right. pretty soon. It's again, you know. interesting. Um, 
in in the understanding I've had about this movie since I've seen it, you know, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. is is that there's magic that's happened that's destroyed this statue from the inside, right? We talked about like, right. like some kind of metal magic spike coming out of the statue, right? Um, and we know, like from the book, you know, it's it's obviously it's a you know Reagan going over there with clay and and putting it on yeah. there, right? That's that's what the book says, but and yeah, and yeah, exactly. And you could you could um, say, okay, that's the book. This is the movie. Things are different. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, when you start looking at it shot by shot and start thinking about it logically yes it must be clay mm-hmm. um i mean for a bunch of when you look at it, it looks like clay it looks like the clay mm-hmm. that reagan's using to make the dumber downstairs all of that mm-hmm. um and yeah yeah we hear it is again and it's not broken um right so the, if it was magic that destroyed it from the inside out then they w- they took that one out and replaced it and then that just raises a lot of questions like okay it's in the newspapers enough that detective kinderman is investigating this or that right um right uh, but like where's this statue that's broken from the inside no there's not like they don't call scientists in to figure it out it's it's desecration and not like an obvious um anti-miracle that's happened right oh that's a good yeah (laughs) anti-miracle right um but yeah yeah you would think that like if this if this wasn't the same statue then that other statue is somewhere else and yeah you would think it's like like it would be in kinderman's like lab (laughs) you'd hope so right because he would like because you're not going to just throw that away. Like right. you need that. Yeah, you, you yeah. Know, there would be out. there'd be scientists looking it over and trying to figure it out. But instead, right. what it is, is, oh, this stuff comes off. That really sucks that this happened to us. But mm-hmm. we can we can kind of move on. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. So we get a wide shot of this church, and yes, we see that uh, there are people um, there as well. Um, I, for some reason, thought this mass that Karis did when you know he mentions his mother was a private mass. This this was back when I was talking about like the side altars mm-hmm. in minute thirty two. But I guess yeah, this is a normal uh, public mass. Right. Um, yeah. Um, but okay. So let's pause here and have a listen to this scene as Blatty wrote it because again. I think he does a really uh, good job here. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually, this this fits perfectly with um, like what you were saying, Keenan, because uh, it, it kind of, it, it's it's uh, on the same uh, timeline, mm-hmm. right? Because we, we uh, uh, Father Dyer has just left and, and uh, um, Karis is sleeping and he, he wakes up in the middle of the night. So a reading from the book of Blatty. In the middle of the night, Karis awakened in tears. He had dreamed of his mother, standing at a window high in Manhattan. He'd seen her emerging from a subway kiosk across the street. She stood at the curb with a brown paper shopping bag, searching for him. He waved. She didn't see him. She wandered the street. Buses, trucks, unfriendly crowds. She was growing frightened. She returned to the subway and began to descend. Karis grew frantic, ran to the street and began to weep as he called her name. As he could not find her. As he pictured her, helpless and bewildered, in the maze of tunnels beneath the ground. He waited for his sobbing to subside, and then fumbled for the scotch. He sat on the cot and drank in darkness. Wet came the tears. They would not cease. This was like childhood, this grief. He remembered a telephone call from his uncle. They mean the enemas affected her brain. She won't let a doctor come anywhere near her. Just keeps screaming things. Even talks to the goddamn radio. I figure she's got to go to Bellevue, Dimmy. A regular hospital won't put up with that. I just figure, couple of months, and she's good as new. Then we take her out again, okay? Listen, Timmy, I tell you, we already done it. They give her a shot, and then take her to the ambulance this morning. We didn't want to bother you, except uh, there's a hearing, and and we gotta sign the papers. Now what? Private hospital? Who's got the money for that, Timmy? You? He didn't remember falling asleep. He awakened in torpor, with memory of loss draining blood from his stomach. He reeled to the bathroom, showered, shaved, dressed in a cassock. 
It was 5.35. He unlocked the door to Holy Trinity, put on his vestments, and offered up Mass at the left side altar. Memento etiam. He prayed with bleak despair. Remember thy servant, Mary Caris. In the tabernacle door, he saw the face of the nurse at Bellevue receiving, heard again the screams from the isolation room. You her son? Yes, I'm Damien Caris. Well, I wouldn't go in there. She's pitching a fit. He looked through the port at the windowless room with the naked light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Padded walls, stark, no furniture, save for the cot on which she raved. Grant her, we pray thee, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. As she met his gaze, she'd grown suddenly silent, moved to the port with a baffled look. Why you do this to me? Why? The eyes had been meeker than a lamb's. Agnos Dei, he murmured, and bowed and struck his breast. Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world, grant her rest. As he closed his eyes, he held up the host. He saw his mother in the hearing room, her hands clasped gentle in her lap, her expression docile and confused as the judge explained to her the Bellevue psychiatrist's report. Do you understand that, Mary? She nodded, wouldn't open her mouth. They had taken her dentures. Well, what do you have to say about that, Mary? She proudly answered him. My boy, he speak for me. An anguished moan escaped from Karis as he bowed his head above the host. He struck his breast as if it were time and murmured, Domini non sum dignus, I am not worthy. Say but the word, and my soul shall be healed. Against all reason, against all knowledge, he prayed there was someone to hear his prayer. He did not think so. You. Yep. Again, just the weight of those words. Um, it's passages like this that make me forget that, uh, like, Blatty was mainly a comedy writer until we get to something like with Carl or the Demon or Burke or Kinderman, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy is really funny. But he is quoted as saying that The Exorcist ruined his comedy career, um, and it almost seems as if in these interviews he isn't aware of how good his uh, uh, serious stuff like this is. That's a really big lesson that I learned in grad school. Um, we were lucky enough to have the Duplass brothers come in. They're sort of the center of um, what somebody called mumblecore. You know, it's not always um, – mm. a lot of people who make mumblecore movies don't like that term. Like the <laughs> the genre mm. is basically named by people who didn't like it. So they're like, oh, it's just a bunch of dudes hanging around in their real houses and just mumbling and <laughs> improvising oh. their way through things. Um, but the Duplass brothers are great. And um, so they make this very interesting style of film that's, you know, low-key comedy. And it is a lot of people, you know, in their real apartments having real conversations. Um, mm. And they came and said that when they tried to make – it in film at the first time they were trying to make the type of movies that they liked which was like rocky yeah. so they were oh, trying yeah. to make rocky movies and sports movies and like big inspirational you know larger than life movies and they had to realize that like we're not good at that <laughs> and we have to make movies that we're good at not just the kind of movies that we want to make and we have the special skills to to do this other type of movie and we could do that really well oh, so oftentimes okay. we're like the we're like the worst judges of what our ability is right yeah and buddy yeah, can do yeah. both he can do this comedy but yeah like uh mm-hmm. Boy, not a comedy. I mean, this is not a comedy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, at least this this specific yeah, part, this chapter, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He has he has some really funny like dialogue. Um, you know, when two characters are interacting, mm-hmm. like he gets you, his comedy shines through. But like it, yeah, it almost like you're like you're saying, Keenan. It almost seems like he is discounting his mm-hmm. his ability to make like this like really like nice, sad, poetic stuff, mm-hmm. right? He struck his breast as if it were time. Like wow, mm-hmm. you know. Hmm. Yeah. The. Um the stereotype about comedians, which uh, I, I have found to be true, and you know, you know, a lot of comedians, I'm sure in LA, are comedy actors. Like the idea that like 
comedians, successful comedians are mostly sad clowns, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Robin Williams yeah. or, or something like that, right? right Just right. incredibly depressed, depressive people. And of course, it's not necessarily true. I, I don't know, like no. Phil Hartman was a very happy person, you know, who met an untimely end. So now we contextualize his whole life with this sense of tragedy. Um, right. But they're not all Chris Farley's and, um, and you know, stuff like that, that just like masking this pain. But that stereotype there, I think is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. So so maybe he's able to to get to this this real um, real probing sadness, um, you know, because a lot of comedy writers are um, they put on that that persona, that mask. Right. 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 So when you're with other people, sure. Oh, let's 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 yuck it up and blah, 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 and do all the impressions and, and be the Marx Brothers. But then like when right. you're alone, you know, a lot of comedians feel that loneliness very, very well. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. And not only to like tap into, you know, those, um, you know, those um, uh, more sad um, uh, emotions, but like also just to like be able to um, uh, convey them with such, I, I don't know if poesy is is the right word, but just like I love I love this last line right here. It's like against all reason, against all knowledge, he prayed that there was someone to hear his prayer. Mm-hmm. He did not think so. Right. Like that's that's really beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. So like not only, you know, is he able to like feel these things um, and communicate the feeling, but like also say it in <laughs> in really pretty words. Right, basically. yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got real pretty words. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, so yeah. And so yeah, we got this wide shot here of the church. And I just want to point out under Karis, we got this symbol. Um, it looks like a, a superimposed P and X. Right. Um, but actually, this is the Cairo monogram, one of the oldest uh, Christograms in existence. And yeah, so like Christogram being monogram of Christ or Christianity. Right. Um, and it superimposes the two letters Chi, C-H-I, uh, that's the X and Rho, R-H-O, that's that's the P right there. And they are the first two letters in the word for Christ. So, you know, this symbol has and, and yeah, this this symbol has been used uh, within the church for centuries. And I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it actually predates their use of the cross. Oh, okay. um, I tried, I tried to find the exact dates folks. Um, you, you can fact check us if, if you know, which came first, right. The exorcist at gmail.com. Mm. Um, I, I feel like, uh, a lot of our listeners, um, are, are, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, knowledgeable in religious history, they might be able to, to let us know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, another really cool thing about this symbol, Keenan, um, before it was adopted by the church, it had been seen in ancient manuscripts and writings being used to mark a particularly uh, a valuable or relevant passage of a page, abbreviating uh, the word uh, creston, which just meant good, right? So like people are marking uh, uh, pages in manuscripts saying, oh, remember this part. This is a good part, mm. right? With this symbol, right? And so I don't know, maybe Friedkin or Blatty are saying like, hey, pay attention to this scene, right? They're putting a little, they're putting a little Cairo. They're putting a little, uh, you know, mark right here. Oh, like wow. put a pin in this scene, right? Put a Cairo in here or a crest on. Well, thanks right? for doing that research because I, I was, I was noticing this, this image because it's right in the center of the frame. I assumed it was something Christian that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, but, you know, for me, looking for patterns and and mirrors um, in the film, it looks like to me that little asterisk that we see in the in the glass of the um, of the grandfather clock, right? Oh, um, yeah. It's not it's not exactly right. It's, it's sort mm-hmm. of rotating, etc. But I was like, oh, that that's interesting. It's right in the center of the frame, and it's where that spot was in his dream. Yeah. Oh, and I guess okay. So I mean, like, I guess if, if we're doing that, like, mm-hmm. if we're talking about like um, uh, similarities of uh, of shapes and everything, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like an X, mm-hmm. right? And it's got like a little a little body and a little head, and mm-hmm. then like X like wing 
wings behind it. Like this could also mm. be like maybe a, a Pazuzu. Oh gosh, I don't know. That's going to get us banned. <laughs> but no, certainly that's what Pazuzu looks like when he's up there in that earlier ones, right? Because right, uh, yeah, right. I was saying without, I wasn't aware of the symbol, right? But that it, Pazuzu's wings are, are later on uh, very quickly compared with the cross, right? So it's mm-hmm. sort of rotating, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So so this, um, yeah, this... Uh, this Christogram that's really interesting. So it's similar mm-hmm. to our idea of the, um, I'm not sure how to say the ix, the ix, this in America, we call it the Jesus fish, right? right that's yes. symbol. <laughs> and that starts as, um, as a Greek acronym. And I, I forget exactly what it stands for, but it used to be, um, you know, a string of letters that eventually then gets adapted as into this fish looking thing. And then right. it looks, you know, I, I believe it's, it uh, had originally, um, um, spelled out something regarding fish, um, hmm. and then it also had the benefit of like, like fisher of men or something. Yeah, like having that association with with Jesus uh, of the fisher hmm. of men and the loaves and the fishes and, and all of those right, things. Right, right. Um, and so now we just have that symbol and it means all of those things, right? Yeah. Eat fish on Fridays. That's what it's oh. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like it, it does say fish, and then it also spells out something having to do with Jesus. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. And I also like so. Um, y- like the the other the other like name for this thing you know creston mm-hmm. being an abbreviation for good right like oh. used as a as a marker for um you know like passages in a book that mm-hmm. that you think are good passages right and we have it in a place where damien can't see it but everyone else can mm-hmm. right so like we know that he doubts his own goodness mm-hmm. right and here we have him standing in front of the symbol for good which he cannot see but everyone else you know in that congregation can see Right? right, they all can see that he's standing in front of this this marker for good, and he can't see it himself. Yeah, and we see it, right? We're like, you're you're a good guy, Damien. You're great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we know that. Like, we we don't. I mean, it's possible that in a movie we could be like, this guy thinks he's shit, and we agree, right? Mm-hmm. That's very possible, right? But like, we're right. like, no, you know, we love you, Damien. Yeah, yeah. He's like, it, it's going to take the whole movie for you to see, yeah. but you know, we got we we already know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. After this scene, uh, we get the beginnings of our next scene. We're back at the hospital outside Dr. Klein's office. Um, Chris is pacing back and forth just outside that door that Dr. Klein likes to enter through, That that uh, the one with the letter A on it, right? He comes through it. He's like, hey. <laughs> Exam room A. Exam room A. Like, Mrs. Um, McNeil, <laughs> we have a diagnosis for your sick daughter. For your weird daughter. <laughs> for your sick, weird daughter. <laughs> Nurse Payne, bring in the file for that weird girl. You know the one. I, I know the one, doctor. <laughs> You're not speaking loud enough. I can't hear you. Over playing with my cars. <laughs> and she has to come in and like, Hong Kong, doctor, I have your files. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a stipulate like he, he made yeah, her exactly. it's like you got you can't no no there's no knocking in in, in dr right. klein's office you in dr klein's office hong kong doctor right and she's like so defeated when she said it's just like it's like doctor i have your files it's like hong kong doctor i have your files these white people they're making me crazy hey. my husband Jeez. is making steak when i get home i've already yeah, called him better be <laughs> right yeah. exactly Yeesh. it's freaking doctor i swear um (laughs) okay so yeah uh so he he comes through this door um he smiles and then he quickly looks away and for the rest of this minute and into the next he does not look chris in the eye did we catch that Mm -hmm. yeah 
And Keenan, uh, someone had reached out to me um, and they said, I hope you're going to talk about uh, the doctor and the cigarette. And I think they were referring to uh, f- this scene right here. Um, we've we've established by now that cigarettes were just like part of the fabric of the 70s, mm-hmm. part of the, the stained, greasy, nicotine marinated fabric of the 70s. Right. Um, and, and so maybe this wouldn't be as shocking as today if your doc lit up in front of you. But I also wanted to get your opinion on this, Keenan. Like health reasons aside, this also just struck me as like really cavalier right. and disrespectful. Like, right. you know, we're talking we're talking about a serious case, you know, about like and he's about to drop some serious doctor theory on this. Um, and he's having a cigarette mm-hmm. while he's doing it. I mean, I guess I guess you, like he could be nervous, maybe. Right. Um he certainly doesn't want to look Chris in the eyes. Like, like, what, what do we think? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like, so in the previous time that we've been in this space, we were in his office. So through these little doors, these these two doors that are in this weird office space, and it was Chris who had her cigarette, and she was like pulling it out uh, out of instinct and doesn't light it, but she seems to really, really want to, and and maybe she's waiting for him to say, "Of course, you go ahead," right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so now here he he does it, and um, yeah, it, it feels like he's sort of hiding behind it, right? Um, there are, I, I can think of some other seventies movies with doctors smoking, but they're both period pieces. And part of the joke mm. is that, um, is that the doctors are smoking Annie Hall, uh, um, Alvy's doctor when he's a kid in the thirties and then in Chinatown. So these are both, this is Woody mm. Allen, the Polanski movie. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> these are major films, <laughs> but then in Chinatown, um, Jake is talking to the, um, the coroner. And he's a mm-hmm. big, big man, middle-aged, but like a, like a really huge man, especially for like the 30s, right? Like people were, right. were not as um, as large as, as this guy was. Uh, and he's um, and he says, how you doing? He's, he's smoking his cigarette and, and Jake says, uh, how's it going? And he says, oh, you know me, except for this damn cough, everything's great. And he just can't figure <laughs> out why, <laughs> why he has this cough. And like both of those times, it's like a joke that, oh, back then they didn't right. understand. But so, so that's interesting. Uh, but here we have like, you know. Maybe again, not documentary evidence of what a real doctor would do, but certainly what was um, what the filmmakers thought the audience would accept as a doctor doing, right? That, right. That, so they're not making a joke. Yeah. They're not making a commentary on look at Doctor Klein. Doesn't seem like it, right? It doesn't. It doesn't seem like like there's any kind of a reaction shot of Chris going like that's weird or anything. Right, right. And she's in this hallway again. And um, we've seen this hallway before. We don't spend a lot of time in it. But when when we get into here, it, again, has half the screen to the left in that blue, the same color blue that you pointed out. And then the other side is right. white with this curtain. So we've continued yeah. that on. So we have the white and the blue. Yeah. We're torn. We're between. Between uh, medicalness, medicalness and, and family. And family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to need to be sorted somewhere. We need our, our, our sorting brain to sort us somewhere. Right. <laughs> Gryffindor. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, I don't want to be Gryffindor. <laughs> uh, um, I actually, Keenan, going back to like this coroner thing, mm-hmm. like, have you ever seen, like, how many how many movies have coroners like eaten a sandwich? Eating a like, sandwich. What does yeah, that have mean? You, isn't this isn't this like a common <laughs> trope? Like, or am I okay? Am I crazy? Because no, no, no. You're talking like, about the corner of a room. No coroner. Oh. <laughs> Lester, I thought I thought you had lost your mind because <laughs> I was talking about the cor- we were talking about shooting into the corners, right? And then we, right. we bifurcated the frame between blue and white, as you as you were pointing out. <laughs> I thought you had a, a the corner of a room eating a sandwich. <laughs> I guess I should have said it's like, hey, Keenan, I'm going to jump back onto that thing. That- <laughs> 
<laughs> that we were talking about earlier before this. Right. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. About the trope of a coroner of a mm-hmm. coroner eating while while she's um yeah while she's doing yeah because yeah. I've seen yeah. like I've seen this in several movies. I'm thinking like arachnophobia where mm-hmm. like they they're examining the dead body and the coroner mm-hmm. is right. so like bored and right. this is just like such a day to day thing that he's like got like a big like egg salad sandwich or something <laughs> that he's just <laughs> chomping on while he's looking at this dead body and actually Keenan like the reason I thought about this is. Blatty writes about it in this book specifically. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. When when Kinderman goes to examine, uh, you know, Dennings' body, mm-hmm. there's there's the, the the guy like he's like, oh yeah, let me let me just take you over to like you know, uh, file cabinet drawer number five or whatever, mm-hmm. and like he pulls pulls out Burke Dennings and he's like eating a sandwich and like a piece of like the the bread like falls onto right. the shroud and he like <laughs> he like wipes it away and and I'm. So wait, is this like? Am I only remembering that and like arachnophobia? No, no I ha- I have recently seen somebody <laughs> commenting on this trope. Hmm. Um, uh, recently, I forget where because I, I'm, I'm too much online and I don't write my down my citations. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I had seen this as, as sort of a, a meme or, or a tweet, um, maybe a tweet uh, thread or something where someone had pointed this out. Yeah, that it's now become a trope. Um, I'm sure it started from from that really happening. I'm sure that you know corners and, and people working in the morgue they have to eat as well and so right. it, it's just like when p- people don't people from outside don't hang out there very often right, right so i'm sure it just was like incredibly noticeable but yeah you know um i'm sure if you go to a police station and go into where the the police officers uh you know hang out they're probably eating sandwiches all the time and, and we mm-hmm. might actually go ill this is that this is your important cases right you're right. doing like sexual violence cases and missing children and you're mm-hmm. eating at your desk like oh how terrible right you right. know <laughs> but yeah it's become so it's become a trope i'm sure that it is i'm sure it comes from someplace though mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'd like to know yeah like if there was like a, a a famous movie or a famous scene or something like that just like because the juxtaposition of those two things like you're 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 amongst the dead and you're right. and you're just like you know stuffing your face right but where should they eat uh, right again yeah like i don't i don't i'm not saying it's right of me to think of this you know <laughs> Like, yeah, of course they need to eat. And where else are they going to eat? Right. Like right. you're not going to, you're not going to go a, like, it's like, ah, oh, let me, let me drive busy, you know, right? four exactly. blocks down and, and yeah, you know, or, have lunch or build a cafeteria for the, for the coroner. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. So yeah, they got to do it. Um, right. It's just probably really shocking. I mean, um, it's like when you're, when your student sees you outside of school, oh, <laughs> How do, why do you exist outside of school? <laughs> Mommy. Right. <Yeah. laughs> It's like a unicorn. It's like I saw, I saw, you know, Mr. Lester out, uh, you know, like he was, he was buying uh, spare ribs. I didn't <laughs> yeah, know they eat. You're right. But it's totally like, yeah, shocking, obviously, because you're seeing this, this thing. We, we deal so rarely with death that we, um, that everything in our world stops and some of us have trouble eating at all. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But these people, you know, deal with death. They see a dead body every week or two. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes more if you're in a big city, but yeah, yeah some, the, but now it's to the point where it's sort of a trope, you know, Blatty might've learned this by, um, doing real journalism, you know, as a journalism oh, yeah, student yeah. and, you know, might've actually seen this kind of thing happening. Um, and so he might've been reporting it, you know, from firsthand knowledge, but by now most of us are writing, writing this kind of scene, just copying other, other scenes that we've right. seen not from firsthand knowledge. So it's so yeah. trippy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all I have for this minute. Uh, Keenan, you got anything else? No, I think we got it. Folks, this has been another excellent Exorcist Minute. I've been Lester Ryan Clark. You can find me on all the socials as Lester Ryan Clark. And I am Keenan Diaz, and you can find me on Letterboxd and Instagram as Howdy Keenan. 
Yes. Uh, uh, we also have a Facebook page for the show, The Exorcist Minute. Just, uh, you know, uh, hop on there and, and like and follow for updates. And we have a listener group. It's called Compelling Conversations. Come and join and then you'll be in here with us. Um, lastly, if you like our show, the best thing you can do for a podcast that's just starting out is to leave a little five-star review and that'll help us reach more people and we can keep uh, growing this cool community. All right, Keenan. I think that's it. Um, Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the the power power of your wet bones compels you. Bone is connected to the <laughs> connected to the Pazuzu bone. <laughs> oh, another thing that your biggest organ is your skin. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've heard that. Like that's that's a nice little like riddle. That's a nice little Jeopardy question because nobody's going to say that. Obviously, no, no, no. Um, I I have a very uncomfortable time trying to tell anybody like anybody that I'm giving like fitness advice to. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about leg day and oh, yeah. I'm talking about working your working your glutes. Right. And then I'll be like, well, you know, the, the, the biggest muscle in your body is your butt. And mm-hmm. I have to be like, well, not your butt. I'm not talking <laughs> about you. I'm talking about everybody's butt right. is the biggest, you know. Um, in one's in one's body is in one's, one's body, butt. one's butt <laughs> is the biggest muscle. 